NFR Extra follows all your favorite cowboys, interviews legends of rodeo, and talks to the best of country music. Follow Nevada Caldwell, Ryland Bentley, and Steve Godert every week as they delve deep into the stories behind the road to gold in Vegas at the National Finals Rodeo. It's revealing, comedic, and sometimes emotional. Find it on Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. NFR Extra. All dirt, all rodeo, all year. NFR Extra, Episode 61. We're talking roping, acting, and the meaning of giving back. Today, our guest is known by many as Dr. Richard Weber on the popular show Grey's Anatomy, along with many other famous roles in Hollywood. While you'll catch him playing a not-so-scripted role in the California rodeo industry, team roping, and philanthropist, often competing in roping events across the country, and my favorite part of the story, giving back to at-risk youth by producing an annual charity roping in Clovis, California, the James Pickens Jr. Foundation Team Roping. James Pickens Jr., man who was influenced by watching cowboy movies with his dad at a young age. Later on, that influence came to life in the form of team roping, where he's had the opportunity to rope with some of the best cowboys in the world, simultaneously giving back to charities that mean very much to him. And of course, his favorite yearly trip to the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. But up next, PRCA CEO George Taylor returns to NFR Extra to give us more details on the recent announcement regarding the plans on conducting the 2020 Wrangler National Finals Rodeo in December amid COVID-19 concerns. Want to experience more of NFR? Then visit nfrexperience.com. And we invite you to subscribe to NFR Extra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like what you've heard on NFR Extra, we would love it if you gave us a big five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. Hi, I'm Dusty Tuckness, nine-time PRSA Bullfighter of the Year, and this is NFR Extra. Welcome back to NFR Extra, George Taylor. Yeah, thanks so much. Great to be here. Uh, happy to get an opportunity to spend some time with you guys. Well, we loved having you on last time and so much that we wanted to bring you back on. So yeah, very- uh, well, let's get down to what the fans are wanting, right? Uh, sure. We know PRCA is committed to holding the NFR in 2020. That's clear we know that. Um, and that the options are in Vegas without fans. Uh, and then also at looking at hosting at another venue outside of Vegas and possibly with fans or without fans. How has it went with you and the team to get to this point in the decision-making? Yeah, it's really, it's a frenetic process at the end of the day. And, um, you know, you think about normally we would partner with LVE to, uh, for a full year in order to have it someplace where we've had it the last 35 years. So, Um, I think everything is extraordinarily uh, compressed and uh, we've been, we feel very fortunate that Michael Gaughan and the South Point gave us an amazing opportunity to remain in Las Vegas, uh, but unfortunately without fans and the impact that that has on, you know, the revenue side, which funds the purse and all the awards for all the people who participate 
um, is really what causes us to wonder uh, what we might do otherwise. And again, Las Vegas stepped up and said, listen, if you guys need to go somewhere else uh, for this year only, um, you know, uh, we would be supportive of that because they care uh, extraordinarily, in my opinion, about the PRCA and the Cowboys and the Cowgirls. It's, you know, it's really refreshing to have a partner like that, uh, that just kind of stepped forward and said, go forth and do what's best for the for the organization. And uh, so we've been working that process. So you, you talked about the purse there, and I know that that's one of the things for all of the contestants when they come to Las Vegas. You know, you went around in the last couple of years, it's been pushing $30,000 to win the round. What's right. the optimal situation for the NFR with regards to the to the purse for the contestants? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, and this is what really keeps me and my team awake is, um, you know, how do we maximize that? And, you know, so optimal, uh, without a doubt, is – um, for us to find a way to have that purse equal what it normally would. And, you know, that's our goal. Uh, some people might call it a dream. Uh, we, we are developing and working our strategy that allows us to maximize what that is and, and don't have the firm answer. But, you know, we sell 170,000 tickets for the NFR, uh, you know, with over 35 years of sellouts. And, and again, that, that's what makes the whole thing work. And so that's what we're working toward. And so with our fan, we're, we're obviously looking at an opportunity to have fans for the 2020 NFR. Yeah, you absolutely have to, or else uh, it's really hard to generate that, that revenue. And for the same reason we don't want the Cowboys to have to go a year without, we don't want fans to either. Now we have a amazing television partner in, um, in Real Media Group and Cowboy Channel. And so that, that really helps uh, if you can do, uh, if you can only do a fanless event. But for me, even watching a fanless event on television just doesn't have the same feel. You know, I've been, watching some of the NBA games and, uh, you know, some of that type of stuff. And it just doesn't feel the same without the crowd, even if you're sitting in your own home. Yeah, the energy, it's that that energy level that cannot be duplicated. Yeah, the athletes really feel that, you know, when somebody has to get up and make a a fast run and tie down or get that 90-point ride, uh, I I think both the crowd and the athletes feed off of that you talked a little bit about the different venue opportunities but what are some of the challenge of actually moving a whole event (laughs) well um so you know you can kind of categorize some of them uh and you know going to arenas uh versus a stadium and you know an arena has the potential at least to maintain the same level of intimacy that you have uh, with the Thomas and Mac potentially. And so, you you know, when you're looking at those venues, you think about that. And with COVID-19 and social distancing and all those types of things in different parts of the country, you know, you have to move to a bigger event. And then again, it just changes the dynamic of the experience for the fan. 
uh, and the Cowboys, uh, you know, if you if you start spreading those things out. So you've got to really think about those and, and then just the logistics of, you know, uh, a bigger arena or uh, certainly not smaller than Thomas and Mac. Uh, we would get in trouble for that uh, with some of our timed event people. You know, they're, they run up pretty close to the edge sometimes and sometimes it's not wide enough for them, but they, they all love it nonetheless um, but you start to think about well should we have a bigger arena floor and how do we think that through and there'll be a multitude of opinions no matter what you decide so uh, that's one thing you can count on talking about contestants this year what does the difference in total earnings percentages look like yeah um, you know, we'll have about 50% of our rodeos, so a, a little over 300 rodeos, and we'll pay out about 60% of our total purse uh, during the regular season. And I think the dynamic of those two things together has really changed the competition. So uh, it's hard for anybody to hide. Uh, every rodeo you go to, you're seeing the biggest names in the sport, you know, Whereas when you have 600 and you spread those guys out across, you know, 600 rodeos versus 300 rodeos, uh, it, it changes the level of competition. And, you know, so the top guys say it's harder to win money because all the top guys are wherever they're at. And the guys that are lower down in the standings also say it's harder to win money because everywhere they go, the top guys are there. So it really is a, uh, interesting dynamic in the competition levels of the sport um, but it's also rewarded a lot of our committees that you know in some ways uh, have a smaller rodeo that historically wouldn't get some of the top names so it's really fun for them to see everybody show up and and the Cowboys have been amazing at, and the Cowgirls at, at just thanking the rodeos for continuing on in uh, in this maybe cancel culture that has developed around us. You talked about Cowboy Channel earlier. I think you've been dating now about eight months, right? I want yes. uh, how has the, uh, how's the relationship going so far? You know, it's, it's really been amazing. And again, what I like to tell people is, um, you know, the amount of coverage we're getting is extraordinary. And so, um, whereas historically we might've been on seven to 10 times before the NFR, so when you have a, a partner like we do, that it's all about what we do and what cowboys and cowgirls do, uh, it just gives you a lot more exposure opportunity. Um, you know, I want to say uh, through into April, we had about 30 million cumulative uh, homes that we were in. So, you know, it's, it's that always on mentality and people through Cowboy Channel Plus, uh, which they like as well, you can go and if you wanna see every bit of one rodeo, you can watch every bit of it. Uh, if you wanna watch the slack, a lot of times they're putting slack on. So, you know, it's just really been able uh, to assist us in expanding that. And then they have Pro Rodeo Live, which uh, they go bounce back and forth between rodeos. They have uh, the Saturday night show on Pro Rodeo tonight. Um, and I can't even remember all the names. Western Sports Roundup. I mean, there's all these opportunities really to get our cowboys and cowgirls out in front of people 
but also our sponsors and and it really is uh, for many homes must watch TV. It's on our it's on our television a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, just recently we're joining their satellite radio. Uh, NFRX is. Yeah, I heard that this morning actually. So yeah, that's exciting. Is their role? I mean, you kind of touch on it, but I think there's maybe some more. How significant is their role as you head towards the unknown of the NFR? Yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, we've got to be able to give them some answers about where we're going to be and so that they can plan and do what they need to do and, uh, you know, just use something like SkyCam as an example. If we go someplace where we can use a SkyCam, knowing what those riggings look like and how to get it done. And, you know, we're 99 days or 98 days out from the event. And so I think, you know, uh, if this year's taught us anything, it's about being flexible, it's about being adaptable, it's about being able to, to move with some fluidity around all the obstacles we keep running against. That is the positive, though. I mean, in, in my opinion, of, of having that um, asset of the Cowboy Channel and the Cowboy Channel Plus app, uh, this year. And I mean, we've had, like you said, what, 33 million homes that it's been into, uh, cumulative homes. So for the fans that are concerned about this, can you discuss a little bit about uh, the plans that uh, you have working with the Cowboy Channel for the NFR? Yeah, I think, you know, they're still evolving, but, um, you know, uh, Pat Gotch, the founder, told me, uh, has told me multiple times, this is the most important broadcast in their history and so thinking about what you do to lead up to it with I'll call it ESPN game day like kinds of things that they'll have what's the post rodeo coverage like you know going to the gold buckle ceremony being involved with that how do they integrate with cowboy Christmas you know all the all the things about the experience and they really want to bring that to life for uh, the fans and some of those fans we know uh, we just completed our survey I don't know if you heard about that but we sent out that survey last week and the number the the top non-rodeo thing was Cowboy Christmas and I think it was about 90% of the people marked that as an important part of the NFR experience well, a lot of people don't even know what Cowboy Christmas is, and I was one of those three years ago. But, um, you know, we're going to draw even more people as they get exposed to these things, and I think it will be great for Las Vegas. It will be great, you know, for our fan growth and the sport growth overall if they start seeing these things. So really, uh, really an exciting opportunity for us as we go forward and requires a lot of integration and a lot of thinking ahead of time, which now we have, again, 98 or 99 days. I'm not sure which. So you can't think about it too long. When we talk about having just a little over 90 days about producing an NFR, can you let us know when you're going to announce the new location and the particular yeah. when it really starts the planning? Yeah, um, we, we committed in our letter, uh, in our press release, to September 30th, and that is – that is way too late, right? Um, so we're in the process of trying to do that as soon as possible. And, you know, I'm kind of a under-promise, over-deliver. Uh, we we want to do it well before the 30th, but we're just 
you know, it takes a long time to move something of this nature uh, quickly, but I've been really pleased with uh, the different states we've been working with and their willingness and ability to move fast. Sometimes we don't think governments move fast, but uh, they've all been really supportive and, you know, there's a lot of people that have interest in the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo brand and moving that forward. Well, George, it's it's imp- it's impressive to see what uh, you know. The sooner the better, because this rumor mill is cranking out some stuff, man. Yeah, so. exactly. The the best ones that I frequently hear are things we haven't even talked about, which is always kind of interesting. So um, last weekend, I think I got probably twenty five texts about the fact that we we're going to a particular place and we were not thinking about it. So, uh, you know, that's the great thing about rodeo is you got a lot of people, you know, who have opinions and have free time. And that combination always leads to interesting social media. Yeah. Energy. I mean, it clearly shows how important the NFR is, how important rodeo is. And just the fans are so just. Released the survey last week. I think it was around nine or 10 in the morning mountain time by, uh, by two o'clock, we had I think approximately twenty thousand responses, and um, within I'll call it that evening when I went home Friday night, I think we had thirty-three thousand. So you know, there's a lot of opinions, and again, one of the awesome data points on there was if the NFR couldn't be in Las Vegas, would you attend in another state? And 80% of the people said yes. And typically on a year-to-year basis, when we've done some surveying, only 75% of the people say they'll, they'll go back again. So it's, it's really fascinating how, how committed people are. And, you know, it's really fortunate for us because, you know, this is almost, uh, you know, we have a lot of cowboys. There's a lot of people who depend on a robust network of rodeos all over the country in order to make their living. And then we have uh, all our sponsors who are, many of them are endemic and and rely on uh, the lifestyle to generate revenue. So, um, you know, having the NFR really makes the year for our cowboys and their cowgirls, and it can make it for our sponsors and the people at Cowboy Christmas. So there's a there's a huge responsibility for us there to really make that work. And then even though it's not in Las Vegas potentially this year, that they still embrace it and attend and and help everybody to have a good year. You got us at Las Vegas events. We're here to help. Yeah, well, thank you guys so much. And again, Las Vegas events has been another great part of what we do. And uh, I've just been so impressed, you know, when – I sit down with Pat uh, Christensen and he says, George, anything we can do to help make this successful, it really speaks volumes for uh, how much the Las Vegas events group cares about what we're trying to do. And and so we, we appreciate it immensely. Very grateful, feel blessed to have that relationship with Las Vegas events. Thank you for uh, joining us. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. All right. Thank you all. Take care. Have a great day. You too. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Do you need a dose of social, a dash of insider info? Then the National Finals Rodeo Social Network is set up just for you. Get updates, insight, unique content, and much more on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. You can find us at Las Vegas NFR. 
And be sure to use hashtag WranglerNFR on your posts and tweets. There's something for all rodeo fans. This is the NFR. This is Vegas. The top 35 most memorable moments of the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo in Las Vegas. Together, Team Roper Speed Williams and Rich Skelton went on a winning rampage from 1997 through 2004 that may never, ever be matched in rodeo again. They racked up a record eight straight world championships in rodeo's only true tandem event. Williams and Skelton, who won the NFR average in team roping in 2001, set a mark for most team roping go-around wins at a single NFR in 1999 when they took a staggering six victory laps around the Thomas and Mack Center. Five times they've been to the Gold Coast. Watch out, Richie! Yahoo! Looky, looky here today! Let her Williams, who's one of the rare team ropers to rope from both sides of the box at the NFR, has won a grand total of 28 NFR go-arounds in his career. Skelton has won 36 NFR go-arounds to date, which is an all-time healing record. Speed Williams and Rich Skelton were inducted into the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in 2018. Hi, I'm Speed Williams, eight-time world champion team roper, and this is NFR Extra. James Pickens Jr. is an American actor best known for starring in television series Grey's Anatomy and The X-Files, and many more, along with popular films like Ghost of Mississippi and 42. In his spare time, Pickens can be found riding horseback and roping cattle. He is a member of the United States Team Roping Championship and competes in roping events across the country. Welcome to NFR Extra, Mr. James Pickens. <laughs> How are you all? We are good. 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 Glad to hear. Well, thank you for joining the show. My pleasure. Just kind of getting right down to it. What have you been doing during this pandemic? I know you wrote, you act. What's been keeping you busy? Oh, uh, well, uh, fortunately, I've been reading a lot of scripts. Uh, I've actually um, got a project that uh, I'm teamed up with with a, a production company and we, we, we've got something in the works for Amazon that we're really excited about. Uh, and actually it's a Western based on a true story. So we're really excited about that. And uh, a couple other, there's a documentary thing we're pitching for to Netflix and, and, and the interim, I'm trying to, you know, get some roping in and some riding. And so, yeah, trying to, and trying to stay safe. Where do you rope at? Where, uh, what area of the country do you rope at? Well, yeah, we're in, I'm in Southern California here in Los Angeles, and uh, about a half an hour north here, uh, there's a, a community called Castaic. It's been a big uh, rural community for quite a while, and it's a lot of horse property up there. And there's a gentleman who's uh, been in the, uh, the horse industry for years as a he has rental staples, but also he he's roped for years, and he had three adult sons who pretty hot ropers here in Southern California have been for a long time. So I rope up there with them. They usually they keep anywhere between 15 and 30 head of cattle up there. And uh, he also, it's also a rental facility as well. So he boards somewhere in the neighborhood, I guess, about maybe 70 horses or so. So I board my two horses up there and we rope up there. And that also it's really pretty trails and stuff around that area. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty nice for me. And it's only about maybe a 25 minute drive from my house. So that's, that's a good thing. Nice. That works out well. Yeah. Yeah. 
were you raised in a, in a Western environment or what was the process of getting you into, into the cowboy lifestyle? <laughs> Not at all. Totally the opposite. I was uh, born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. So uh, right there in the, right the, the heart of the industrial hub of, of America there. And so, uh, but I was a child of the fifties and sixties and, 60s, and I, I, I'd always loved Westerns. My dad was a big fan of the Westerns and we'd watch them on TV when he just had three channels. And yeah. so, um, I would, uh, you know, I'd watch him there with my daddy. You know, he he loved the Lone Ranger and Gunsmoke and all of those that were kind of the, the common fare there during that time. And uh, I always had an affinity for horses, and I would act like I was a cowboy. We'd, we'd get a, some guns and holsters for Christmas, and I'd get together with my neighbors and, and, and uh, the kids who lived in our apartment complex, and we'd play cowboys and Indians like most kids did during that time. And uh, just, um, it's just something I always, uh, I was always in the back of my mind. I, I wanted to get involved if, if uh, the opportunity lent itself to it. Now, and I'm assuming at some point, you know, you gravitated towards the rodeo side. Now, how did, how did this connect into the roping side? I mean, what, where was the age? What, how old were you when this came about? Oh, I was, I was, you know, I was quite old actually. I think I was 40 when I actually kind of, I got the bug for lack of a, a better term. I was actually out here in California by that time. I spent the early part of my career in New York as a stage actor in Broadway and stuff. But I used to, I would ride in New York City. I, I lived down. Make a long story short, I, I lived down the block from a a horse rental stable. It had been an old firehouse that they had converted into a horse rental stable, and they kept the horses down in the basement where they used to keep the engines and stuff. And uh, they would bring them up on the on an elevator, and they'd bring up the horses. It was just English tack, and you would take the horse and you'd walk them down 89th Street there between Columbus and Central Park. You'd wait at the corner for the light to change at Central Park West, and you cross the street and you could ride in Central Park. They had trails there, and so I would do that from time to time. And then, uh, and then uh, I'd go up to the Bronx up to what they call Long Island, uh, Long Island City, and I'd ride up there. And so when I got to uh, California, I, 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 I was lucky enough to, and uh, during my work, uh, to run into some some wranglers, some guys who had stunt doubles and stuff. And uh, one of the guys, uh, you know, talked about horses and stuff. And I was like, oh man, I'm so intrigued. And he used to team, he used to team pin. And uh, I, I started out team pinning. A good friend of mine had had a horse. He had an appendix quarter horse. And we used to team panel it. And it was a lot of fun. So I did that for a couple, two, three years. And then uh, it was something I, I saw some team rope. And I think I was actually on television. And I was like, man, this is really cool. So I was really intrigued by that. And so uh, I, this gentleman who I keep my horses now, his oldest son, uh, was a big time healer. And he, he gave lessons. And I ran into him and we got to talk. He said, well, come on up to my dad's place. And, you know, we teach folks how to rope all the time. So I went up there and started learning from him. And he had an old gray mare that everybody learned how to head on and she'd take care of you and stuff. And so I did that and it just kind of progressed from there. And, uh, you know, like my third head horse later, so I'm still kind of doing it. The steers are still winning, but I'm having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> That uh, so when did you start getting involved into into rodeo? You got into the team roping, but do you remember the first rodeo that you went to? 
Well, actually, uh, the very first rodeo I went to was in New York City of all places, up in Harlem. It was a uh, it was an iteration of of Bill Pickett rodeo. This this uh, these folks were supposedly um, relatives of Bill Pickett, and they started this this rodeo. I think it was called like Pickett '89 or something. I can't remember, but they they would come to New York City, and they would uh, there was an old uh, Sandlot baseball park, and they would come in there and set up their buck and shoots and a whole bit. And I remember. That's the first time I'd seen seen a rodeo, and it was actually an all African American rodeo, which was really unique for me. And uh, I, I remember that it really stuck with me. And then when I came to California, um, I remember uh, I have a dear friend who worked for ABC in, in, in the casting department, and he'd been a big rodeo fan, and he he had great relationships with folks at the NFR, and he would get tickets from time to time. And he approached me one time. We were at a, actually at a team pinning event. And he said, hey, would you like to, I've got these extra tickets. Would you like to come to Vegas for the NFR? And I was like, what is the NFR? And he was telling me, he said, oh, man, it's the greatest show on dirt. I said, really? So I said, well, what the heck? So I, I went to, I think it was the last weekend of it. And uh, I was like, i would never seen anything like it. And just the, the pageantry of it, and just the excitement of, of everything. And uh uh, I was at what is it now over 20 years later I, I still go every year and it's kind of my destination thing for the year and it's it's been a blast that's awesome yeah that NFR that's that's a quite an overwhelming experience as far as sensory overload for the, like you said the pageantry and then the caliber of yeah. contestants that are there so that's definitely got a draw yeah. You kind of got into it, like you said, you were, you know, later on in your life. And I don't want to mm-hmm. use the word intimidating to you, but mm-hmm. what was, I mean, what were the feelings you had as an established actor going in and, and then now all of a sudden you're roping with, you know, top team ropers? I mean, is that intimidating mm-hmm. at all? Or was that just like, oh, uh, these guys? You know, I, I guess I was, I, I had no real expectations per se. Uh, but it, yeah, I, I can say that, you know, I, as I said, coming out, I was an older older guy coming into it, it was like a lot not like most of those guys who you know growing up on ranches and, and raised ranch working and then the whole bit I, I came in as a real novice later on later on in my life and so I, I i i really wanted to glean as much as i could on how these guys did it and stuff and i was kind of you know i was learning twofold you know i actually learned how to ride a horse better and then you know throwing into the mix uh, the whole mechanics of roping and stuff. So yeah, it was somewhat intimidating, but I think even more than intimidating, it was it was exhilarating. It was something that was very exciting about it, and it, you know, it, it was a new um, um, skill set that I had to learn. And uh, I think that was a thing that uh, I was really excited about. But it made me really appreciate how good these guys are, and and the time and the work and the dedication and the commitment they put into that to, to be as good as they are, you know, they make it look so easy, but it's far from easy. And so that was something I really grew to expect, respect about those guys. Uh, Steve bringing up some top notch team members. I mean, do you ever bring out Mr. McDreamy out to rope or any of your friends? I mean, that you try to introduce them? (laughs) No, McDreamy back into the day, no, 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 Patrick was, was definitely not a, not a, a horse guy. He was, Although he owned horses, he did have a couple of horses at, at his place there, but he was a, a race car guy. You know, he actually co-owned a race team. 
but there was really no one that uh, really I could say that came out to kind of see what I did and stuff. So um, uh, it was it pretty much I was pretty much a solo act as far as, as the show was concerned. <laughs> Switching gears just a little bit, could you tell us a little bit about the James Pickin Jr. Foundation that you've created? Sure, sure. It was a foundation that uh, my wife and I started back in, uh, I want to say, '09, and uh, we uh, we had been involved in some charity work in the past, and uh, but we wanted to do something more than just write a check. Nothing, which is nothing wrong with writing a check, obviously, but we wanted to do something that we felt that we were invested a little more. And so, uh, actually, it was spawned out of the, the, the uh, uh, a, a fundraiser for our church at the time. And so we uh, we, we decided, okay, we could use this as a way to um, draw some attention to two of you know our big concerns, which were, and they both had to do with with children. And so, uh, as a segue to that, uh, uh, my relationship I've made over the years with um, the PRCA. And in, uh, in NFR, uh, I, I, I was talking to a couple of friends that I wrote with, and they said, man, well, why don't you think about putting on a charity deal? You know, you could raise all the proceeds could go to these charities. You say, you know enough people, and you could, I think you could get something going. So we fast forward, and I started reaching out to folks and, um, and asking, how does this thing work? And the, the the cowboy community was very accommodating to me, you know, coming into it as truly as a novice with no experience and that not being my lifestyle. I kind of had to hit the ground running, but they were very, very um, uh, gracious in, in, in helping me. And uh, we started uh, 11 years ago with uh, my first roping and uh, uh, we got a lot of the top guys who who came uh, during that West Coast swing to come down. I think my, I think our first year we had right around 50 teams, and uh, it was it was, uh, it was quite exciting. I was very humbled by the fact that those guys came out, and I mean some of the top guys. One of the spectators walked up to me, and I remember him saying, "He said, Wow, Jim.' He said, This is like a little BFI. All these guys you got who came through, and it's you know it has grown progressed." You know, progressively over the, the last you know, 11 years and uh, last year um, we, we drew about about somewhere between 90 and 95 teams and uh, most of the top guys who come out here for the West Coast Swing and it's been, uh, it's been, uh, been very very blessed to, to have them uh, get on board on what we were trying to do. James the rodeo industry is blessed to have you even if it took 40 years time to take a break and when we come back We'll continue our conversation about James's foundation, his gold buckle friends, and his mission to give back to at-risk youth. Want to relive the best NFR moments from the last 35 years? We've got you covered at nfrexperience.com. Check out the NFR History tab at the newly redesigned website for a walk, or should we say a gallop, down memory lane. You'll find images, recaps, and videos from the greatest moments from the last 35 years in Las Vegas. From Ty Murray to Trevor Brazil, Louis Field to Casey, Charmaine James to Mary Berger, Fred Whitfield to Joe Beaver, and everything in between, you'll find it here. There's something for all rodeo fans. Check it out at the newly redesigned NFRExperience.com. This is NFR. This is Vegas. Hi, I'm world champion Jet Johnson, and this is NFR Extra. We're hanging out with actor, roper, philanthropist, James Pickens Jr. on NFR Extra. James is a member of the United States Team Roping Championship, 
and competes in roping events across the country. James, who are some of those guys? Who are some of the top notch folks that you'd bring out there? Anybody we know? Oh man, you 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 name them, they pretty much come through with all our roping out. Uh, I want Speed Williams. We've had Trevor Brazil. We've had Clay Cooper. We've had Jake Barnes. We've had Junior Nogata. We've had Eric Senegini. We've had Travis and Clay Tryon. I've had Jet Johnson. We've had Turtle Powell. I've had uh, oh man, Patrick Smith. We've had, uh, oh man, uh, Nick Sartain. We've had Russell Cardosa. Uh, oh man, uh, yeah. <laughs> did, I, did, I, did, I, did I miss that Clay Smith we had who won our Open one year? Uh, we've, wow, yeah. We've we've had pretty much all the, all the guys you can think of, world champions and stuff. They've they've come through. Yeah, I was thinking of gold buckles. Every name you were just mentioning just said like they were stacking up uh, with those names. They, 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 I, and that was the thing that my wife and I were so impressed with that these guys made the effort to come through and our rope and uh, you know in in the short amount of time that we were established in eleven years, we became one of the top destinations as far as spring roping uh, on the circuit, especially on the West Coast. You know, it would be us and, and then you know you'd have Oakdale and Red Bluff. You know, those and our rope, and as far as the big jackpots were concerned, the lakeside. Uh, so yeah, they've uh, we've been very blessed to have uh, such great guys come through. This roping that you host is in Clovis, California. You mentioned Red mm-hmm. Bluff and Oakdale, which are huge rodeos, and so is Clovis. Is there a reason you chose Clovis itself to host it in that arena? Well, actually, somebody approached us. Actually, a guy who had been the the, the livestock supplier for for um clovis uh also team rope team ropes and he had come down to rope in our pro-am and uh during the course of the uh the event he uh he approached me and said hey i really like what you're doing here we we're at the time we were down here about an hour north of los angeles and to home ranch which is a very historic it's probably the oldest continuing working ranch on this part this side of the country and uh, we would hold it. We were holding it there. They were very gracious hosts too. They do it for uh, you know it was gratis, and uh, they gifted us the arena and everything. But uh, it was small, and uh, it was uh, a good three hours or so away from where the big main rodeos over there, Red Bluff, those. Uh, and so uh, there was a trip for those guys. And so we, this guy approached me and said, you know, I I, I associated with the folks at Red Bluff. I mean, at the Clovis, and uh, I think this might be a good fit for you all. And so we, we talked with them, and they, you know, they vetted us, and we vetted them, and uh, the Clovis folks were great. And so we would kick off, not part of the Clovis Rodeo, but we would kick off the Clovis Rodeo week with our team roping. We usually had that Tuesday it was before they would have their slack on the next day on Wednesday. And we were up there for uh, for four years. Yeah, and they were they were great hosts and very gracious and it gave us the gravitas we needed to, to kind of put us on the map. Uh obviously we doubled our team uh, uh participants uh, and that was always good. At the end of the day it translated into the proceeds that we would uh, funnel to our charities. What are a few of those charities that you guys choose to donate to? Mm-hmm. Well, it actually started with a, a, a charity that a dear friend of mine and his wife started about 20 years ago that had a Western lifestyle 
theme attached to it. A wonderful actor and dear friend of mine, Glenn Terman, and his wife, Joanne, started a camp called Camp Giddy Up. And they wanted to, uh, they wanted to bring attention to uh, the kids in, in the, the South Los Angeles area and bring them to uh, kind of take them out of their comfort zone and introduce them to the Western lifestyle. He has a ranch about an hour north of Los Angeles that he's had for about 30 years close to it. And so they would bring a group of kids up, you know, disenfranchised kids and some uh, at-risk youth, and they would introduce them to this lifestyle for a weekend for free. And they would, uh, they had horses up there and they would ride they, arts and crafts. They did archery and horseshoes. They had a mechanical bull. He had, he had put in a, a, a man-made pond where the kids could swim. They could hike. They could camp out under the stars. They had trailers for them to, to stay during the weekend. And it was really quite an experience for a lot of those kids who hadn't been far north as, as, I don't know if you're familiar with LA, but as far north as, as people boulevard down here. So to have that uh, and to be introduced to that different kind of lifestyle, which was something totally foreign to them, but uh, it gave them a kind of new perspective on, on what, what could be achieved and, and what was out there for, for these kids. And they not feel limited just by where they come from or they, what they look like. And so I was, I was, intrigued by that and we had been supporting them for a few years even before i started the roping but i thought this would be a great way to attach both you know the, the fact of a team roping but also that would benefit something that had a western western lifestyle theme to it so that was the one and the other one was a wonderful or is a wonderful after school program called hands for hope that was founded by a, a wonderful woman lydia floyd who had a real passion for trying to create a safe place after school for that age range from about eight to about 18, very vulnerable, uh, uh, susceptible, susceptible, I should say, to a lot of the, the negative things out there that can draw kids into a, 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 a different path. And so she set up this hands for hope as a way to get kids off uh, at in a safe place after school, they can do the homework. A lot of these kids come from single parent households where the mother or the father have to work. And so they have to have somewhere where these kids will be until they get from work. And so Lydia created this Hands for Hope. Uh, they have a, a music production uh, arm to it where kids can learn music production and play instruments and uh, they do field trips. Uh, and in, there's been a couple of cases where she's actually taken children who were homeless off the street and gave them a place to stay until they could transition into a much safer environment. So we were very, uh, we were very impressed by what she was doing. It was faith-based, which we, we uh, uh, had an affinity for. And so uh, it was a natural fit for us. Uh, those are the two charities that we've been uh, kind of partnering with for about the last, oh man, 11, 12 years now. Ghost of Mississippi and 42, man. I, great movies, by the way, James. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you been able to, I think this is cool when you get to art imitates life and life imitates art. Have you been able to get into any of that Western lifestyle of what you love into your <laughs> acting? Has that movies, happened? The movies. Yeah. You know, it's been funny. I, I, I've had the opportunity twice. I did a, a thing for Showtime that was a parody on on the film Shane with Chris Christopherson and myself and Fred Willard and, and some other folks. It, it was a, a comedy, but uh, it, it was a western. We actually shot it up in Toronto, 
and it was fun. But I played a blacksmith in that one, so I didn't get a chance to ride. <laughs> and and then then the other one was uh, uh, a series back, oh, I think in the mid '90s, uh, starring Robert York, the late Robert York, called The Lazarus Man. And I uh, did a guest star in there, but I played a freedman who was a, a freed uh, ex-slave who was trying to set up a freedman's office in a in a town. And once again, on that one, I didn't get a chance to ride. So, but uh, so I, 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 I've come close, but no cigars when I was getting horseback or anything like that. But it was still the experience was great, and I, I did get a chance to to be a part of that. But uh, you know, never too late. I, I did, I did. I'll take that back. And then I did. Uh, well, was it two years ago? Yeah, summer before last, I did the the, the season finale of Yellowstone. Uh, uh, um, uh, Taylor Sheridan, who created the series, called me and said, "Hey, Jim, I've got this great great role. It's probably three episode arc, and we want you to do it." And so I flew up to Montana to to, to work on that, and then uh, because their schedule conflicted with ours, I could only get the one episode in. And, uh, so I was bummed out about that one. But I did get a chance to ride a little bit with second unit folks up there on a, on a shoot day. So that was fun. Yellowstone, man. You know, at our office, that's uh, kind of like <clears throat> a little hidden gem of all of us that love that show. I, you know, obviously I'm a Costner fan, but the drama, obviously oh, yeah. you get to live yeah. that kind of stuff. It's pretty, in your it's pretty gnarly. It's pretty gnarly. When I read the script and stuff, I said, oh my gosh. And then Taylor was kind of giving me the synopsis of what this show was about. And then I got a chance to look at a little bit of it before I, I went up there. They were doing a final mix, so I went over to to see that and I was like oh man this thing here is this is going to be different from what you usually see on western so uh, Kevin's done a great job and he's pretty committed to it and otherwise yeah obviously he wouldn't have done it if he didn't think it had some legs to it. So, but uh, yeah I was fortunate enough I got a chance to, to do that last one so I was, that was a lot of fun just to kind of wrap it up before we let you go what are your plans for the rest of this year you mentioned a few of your projects that you guys are working on, but there's there anything that really stands out other than those? Uh, I, I think those right now are the ones that uh, uh, I'm really excited about. This this project that I'm partnered with now, actually, and uh, I hope I don't sound like I'm name dropping because that's not what I'm trying to do at all. But uh, I, I, I partner with, I'm partnered with Morgan Freeman and. and and Lori McCree, who runs this company, Revelations Entertainment, and I had approached him. I'd had this project that I'd been trying to pitch for years um, based on uh, the uh, the lawman Bass Reeves, who was one of the first African-American U.S. deputy marshals listed in Mississippi. An incredible, incredible story. And I pitched it, and Morgan had been wanting to tell that story for a long time. So uh, we were able to get there, and I said, man, you know, we got to get this thing done. And after about now seven, almost eight years now, we finally got it and uh, Amazon has it. They're very high on it. So we're looking at it as a limited series. We're about to start writing outlines and stuff now. And uh, I'm really excited and proud to be a part of this project. So yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm, I'm most proud about. And then I got a documentary thing that I'm partnered up with and working on that we're pretty excited about uh, with, uh, with uh, the musician Sheila E. with her father, Pete Escobedo, a great musician in his own right and folks really don't know about, but has an incredible story to tell. So we're, we're looking at Netflix on trying to see if we can get that one pitched as well. So I'm pretty excited about those things for sure. How, how do you guys, you know, in the pandemic and here we are, you know, we're, we're on a Zoom call. How do you guys 
how does the whole business go down for you on that on the kind of the the production side of things? Just 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 about what you're saying. A lot of Zoom calls, a lot of conference call stuff. You know, you'd be surprised. Obviously, you know this is this is going to be a new normal uh, moving forward, at least for the foreseeable you know for the foreseeable future. That's for sure. But you know, you that's you. This is how stuff is created. You know, this is how a new paradigm is is, is, is shifted. And so uh, you, you make do. And so, uh, you know, you have a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of conference calls that uh, you participate in and uh, and it works. You know, you, you get it done. And, and obviously it's not, we'll never take the place on the one-on-one in-person thing. And that'll come back at some point. It will. Uh, but uh, for right now, this is this is what we have. So, you you know, you, you make it work. And, uh, and, and folks are coming up with some really in creative ideas in terms of how we communicate, especially out here in Hollywood. And so, um, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this works. So there you are. James, we thank you for coming on the show. Actually, when you, I'm actually looking forward to that piece you're doing with Morgan Freeman. That sounds like a kick well, thank you. Story. Yeah, so we're pretty excited about it. Really. I think it's going to be a heck of a project. Yeah. Really an incredible story about this guy. Thank you, sir, for coming on. We enjoy the, the time you took out to kind of come on, NFR Extra and share your story and well thank you well I appreciate you asking me to be a part of it NFR like I said is, has always been one of my destinations for the year I look right and you know when it gets right around that December 1st second week of December I said okay uh, after you know I, I let the you know production company and stuff know I say hey I need this last weekend blocked out you know got to Vegas and so it's been uh, you know that's been my go to uh guilty pleasure for me so it's going to be interesting to see how this year looks you know and uh so uh, i you heard y'all probably know better than i do do you think we're going to have one well i mean that's the plan i mean it's you know as as yeah. you know and the whole country or the the damn earth knows i mean it's just it's one day at a time so yeah i mean as far as we yeah, know we're going that's forward for sure yeah that's for sure well thank you all for uh allowing me to, to, to share this, this little bit of time with you i appreciate it thank you yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thank you, and, and thank you for all that you do for those kids too. That that's a huge impact, and and it's great. Thank you very much. to visit it. with you. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much, and you all stay safe. Uh, we're gonna get through this thing here. We will. All right. God bless, James. God bless you too. We want to thank George Taylor for the NFR Update, and James Pickens Jr. for joining us on NFR Extra. And stay tuned for Episode 62 when self-made country music mainstay Aaron Watson visits NFR Extra. Want to experience more of the NFR? Then visit NFRExperience.com. And we invite you to subscribe to NFR Extra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like what you've been hearing on NFR Extra, we would love it if you gave us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. NFR Extra. All dirt. All rodeo. All year. Gotta make it out to Vegas Where the big boys roam With the rovers and the racers And the bulls and the 